Section 11 of Letters from Victorian Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters from Victorian Pioneers. Letter number 11 from Thomas Lemonth. Sir, Bunningyong, 11th of August, 1853. At Your Excellency's request, I have the honour to forward the following memoranda regarding the first occupation of the country in the districts of the Bawan, Murabul, Bunningyong and Mount Emu, in which my brother and myself were personally concerned. The narrative is very brief and meagre, but may at least serve to mark dates. Early in 1837, a fleet of small vessels, perhaps fifteen or twenty in number, and each carrying from three hundred to one thousand sheep, was employed in conveying stock from the Tamar, on the opposite coast of Van Diemen's Land, from January to the middle of May, during the prevalence of the easterly winds in Bass's Straits. The vessels were much crowded, and the sheep were generally on board for seven or eight days, so that from want of a proper supply of food and water, or from stormy weather, whole shipments were sometimes almost entirely lost on the passage or shortly after landing. The average loss, however, on these importations was probably about 15%. The sheep were purchased in Van Diemen's land at prices varying from 20 shillings to 35 shillings each, and the freight and expenses were about five or six shillings a head more. The original stock being composed entirely of breeding sheep, the first settlers lived exclusively on salted provisions during the first year of their occupation, the purchase of which, and the large expenses necessary incurred in forming their stations, added to the small increase, and the loss of wool from the fever engendered by the crowded vessels, entirely absorbed the profits of several seasons, and in some cases ruined the adventurers. The first stations were commenced with flocks varying from 500 to 1,500, and one or two such as the Clyde Company and Derwent Company, under the management of Mr. George Russell and Mr. D. Fisher, had 3,500 ewes, respectively. In the month of April of that year, 1837, my brother and I landed three cargoes from Van Diemen's Land, or about 2,000 ewes, and we purchased 1,000 more at two guineas a head. These we drove up the Barwon River to a place about 20 miles from Geelong, and occupied a run on each side of the river and another on the native creek to the eastward of the Lee. About a month previous to this, News had arrived of the loss of Messrs. Gellibrand and Hess in the country towards the sources of the Barwon or towards Colac, and as the Aborigines were committing depredations within fifteen miles of Geelong, which at that time had not even a hut to mark its present site, settlers were afraid to penetrate into the interior in order to take up runs, and a line drawn at little more than Twenty-five miles from the shores of Port Phillip Bay comprised nearly the whole of the sheep stations at that time and for some months later. In the occupation of the country, there was a tacit understanding that no one was to take up a station nearer than three miles to another person, the intervening ground being equally divided. 
and this regulation in general was sufficient to secure harmony among the adventurers as they arrived, there being no Crown Commissioner, however, at that time, nor any recognised authority but that of the strongest, feuds and quarrels with regard to boundaries did take place, which in some cases resulted in blows, though in general more good feeling and consideration for the rights of others were observed in the then lawless state of the infant colony than might have been expected. As it may be interesting in a record of this kind to give the names of the earliest adventurers, I enclose a rough map of the country on which the stations occupied at the date I arrived, May 1837, are noted in red ink. Those of which I shall now speak, and which were occupied in the following year, that is up to May 1838, are marked in black ink. In August 1837, a party consisting of Mr. Darcy, a government surveyor, Mrs. C. Hutton, G. Russell, Anderson, Fisher, Dr. Thompson and myself took a horse-cart, and with a tent and provisions and one of the aboriginals as a guide, in order to explore the country in the neighbourhood of Bunanyong, the only hill that breaks the horizon to the northwest of Geelong. We reached the hill on the second day, ascended it, and being disappointed by the thickly wooded and inferior nature of the country, and suffering from want of food for two days, having separated from the cart, the party broke up, some returning down the Moorabool to the settled district, while the remainder on getting on the track of the cart followed it, and continued their exploration, till led by the native to Lake Burrumbeet, twenty miles to the northward of Bunanyong. The water of the lake was at that time brackish, and the country was thought to be too distant for occupation, the party therefore returned. On our return home we learnt from a person who with others had been in pursuit of a tribe of natives to the west of Lake Colac in order to recover some property that had been stolen by them from Mr. Ricketts, the furthest settler, that a large sheet of salt water had been discovered, that they could not see across it in one direction, and that there were shells and the appearance of the rise and fall of the tide on its shores. As soon, therefore, as we could arrange a second party, we again started to explore this place, which, from our informant's account, seemed to be an arm of the sea. We were six in number, Dr. Thompson, Mrs. C. Hutton, G. F. Reed, W. Scott, my brother and myself, and set out in September 1837. We travelled by Mount Gellibrand, crossed the border Yalloak near its mouth, reached a hill which we named Mount Elephant, a name which it still bears, and descended it. Observing the magnetic influence on the rocks on the summit, which was so great that our pocket compasses were useless when laid on the ground, and would only traverse when we mounted one of our number on the shoulders of two of his companions, so as to get the bearings of different points on the horizon. From thence we went to the Cloven Hills, and to the country subsequently occupied by the Mrs. Manifold, and returned eastward by the Pirin Yalloak, having thereby convinced ourselves that the sheet of salt water was really an inland lake, and that the appearance of a tide which had deceived our informant was nothing more than the action of high winds on its shore. At the mouth of the Pirinyalloc we came upon a large tribe of natives who seemed to have been the plunderers of Mr. Ricketts' station, as they possessed some of the stolen property. 
we came upon them so suddenly that they had time only to set fire to their miamias as a signal of danger to the other tribes we rode up to them but without firing or injuring any of them and encamped at a short distance off here we were in some danger and had to keep a strict watch all night for we saw by the smoke rising in different quarters that the signal had been observed and answered and that the other tribes were on the alert after much shouting and answering one another in the forest around us during the night the savages decamped before daybreak and our danger was over near our encampment we found a fishing weir of the natives in which were small conical nets of good workmanship nearly a bushel of delicious little fish-like white bait was in the nets part of which we took and faithfully remunerated the owners by giving provisions in return to a couple of men whom we induced to approach us in the beginning of january eighteen thirty eight we set out on another exploring excursion the party consisting of Mrs. John Aitken, A. Anderson, W. C. Ewell, my brother and myself. From Mr. Aitken's station we went to Mount Macedon, at which Mr. Ebden then resided, and thence to the Colliban, where Mr. A. F. Mollison had just taken up stations with stock from the Middle District. This was the farthest station at that time in that direction but within twelve months the Messrs. Coghill, Captain Hepburn and others had pushed on farther. From Mr. Mollison's station we passed by Mount Alexander, followed the Loddon down over the localities lately rendered famous by the gold mines of Forest Creek and Bendigo, and crossed the plains at the Deep Creek to the Mount Beckwick Ranges, where being in great distress from want of water, we passed a most uncomfortable night under the highest point of them, which we called Mount Misery, a foolish name, which it has unfortunately continued to bear ever since. I may be allowed to pause for a moment here to remark with regard to this mountain that it is one of the most conspicuous peaks in the country, and that it is seen as a landmark perhaps further than any other single elevation in the colony, being the culminating point from which rivers that flow into the basin of the Murray on the one side and into the sea to the westward of cape otway and the other take their rise i cannot but regret therefore that it should continue to bear a foolish name that originated in a thoughtless moment if i may be pardoned the liberty of doing so i would suggest the propriety of your excellency bestowing a suitable name upon it before leaving your present government and further that that name should be your own as a record of one who assumed the reins of government when Port Phillip was the weakest of the British possessions, and who is now about to leave it the fairest colony annexed to the British crown. From this mountain we came to the northern side of Lake Burrumbeet, then covered with a few inches deep of intensely salt water, the more tantalising to us as both ourselves and horses were suffering much from thirst. One of our party, Mr. Anderson, had already seen Burham beat on the occasion of the first excursion I have spoken of, but he did not recognise it, and we left it on our right, returning home by way of Darling Forest, the Bunanyong Ranges, and the Murrabool River, at the head of which we found the newly formed stations of Mrs. Cowie instead, and of Mr. R. Steiglitz. Immediately on our return from this exploring tour, 
my brother and I removed our flocks from the Barwon River, where we originally settled, and which we already found to be too confined, and pitched our tent at our present homestead at Bunninyong, and in the course of the same year, 1838, extended our runs to Burrumbeet and the Maiden Hills, which we still occupy. At the same time, February 1838, Mr. Yule occupied Ballarat, which has lately proved to be so rich a goldfield, and within a year the station of Mr. Clark at Darling Forest was taken up, and those of the Messrs. Coghill Birch and Captain Hepburn, and also of Mr. Bowman on the northern side of the Maiden Hills, which latter was purchased by us in the following year. In 1839 the Messrs. Donald took up their runs, and also Messrs. Kirkland and Hamilton, that now possessed by Mr. Goldsmith. The Mount Emu country was occupied by Messrs. Bailey, Wright and Montgomery, and Mr. Urquhart. And in 1840, the country to the westward, towards the Grampians, was being rapidly filled up. The remaining point on which Your Excellency desires information is with regard to the Aborigines, their number, and their demeanour towards the first settlers. The anxieties and labour connected with the forming of our sheep establishments were so great and urgent at the time of which I write, that I never bestowed the attention requisite to form a correct estimate of the numbers or habits of the natives. They never were numerous at Bunningyong or in the neighbouring district, though I remember hearing of a gathering of them at Mount Emu, which was estimated to amount to five hundred, but I think this statement will be much overrated. I should consider myself to be nearly correct if I set down the whole Aboriginal population in the district around Bunningyong at the time of its settlement, taking a radius of thirty miles from the mountain as a centre, at three hundred souls. Now probably there are not three hundred. In looking at this rapid disappearance of the native tribes in our own district, it is a pleasing subject of reflection that, notwithstanding our having had a servant killed, others attacked, and sometimes our sheep destroyed, we have never been brought into personal collision with them nor have we been instrumental in taking the life of a single individual. And moreover, I am free to confess that, considering the wrong that has been done to the Aborigines in depriving them of their country, they have shown less ferocity and have exhibited the desire to retaliate less than might have been expected. I consider the disappearance of the native tribes in this district to be owing not to the result of encounters with the stockmen and early settlers, but to the vices introduced by the white men among them, and to the change in their habits, by which the active exertion of the hunter's life was exchanged for the idleness, and commonly the plenty, they enjoyed in their new condition of beggars, thereby inducing diseases and catarrhal affections to which they were not subject before. For I believe that there is no surer way of extirpating a race of savages like the Australian native than by supplying them freely with food, and thereby taking from them the necessity for personal exertion. If there are any other details which Your Excellency may desire, and which it is in my power to give, I shall be happy to furnish them. I am Your Excellency's obedient servant, Thomas Lemonth, to His Excellency Charles J. La Trobe, Esquire. End of Letters from Victorian Pioneers, Letter Number 11